Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to After Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin. Hello there listeners, welcome to another edition of Akdung Millwall, a, a July edition, not an awful lot going on other than supposition and rumour on the uh, potential transfer or not of Zian Fleming online, so I thought I'd just take the chance to review the, um, the anniversary of 30 years since the construction of the new den, it's referred to in the paperwork for the season ticket. I just got mine uh, just the other day, and in amongst all the uh, various rules and regulations, please don't do this, please don't do that, was a little logo, nicely designed logo, incidentally, Millwall, if you're listening, of a, a kind of um, a 30 with the, the uh, zero as a depiction of the, what I still call, the new den. It's 30 years, if you can believe it. Anyone of my era will probably still think of the stadium as being the new grounds. Um, <laughs> it's, 30, it's 30 years, and I said on the previous shows, I've actually been going to the new ground, as I, as I still think of it, for longer than I ever went to the old ground, which was a lot less than 30 years all in. Um, so, yeah, I thought it might be nice just to have a little look at the origins of the Zampa Road Stadium, um, how it came to, to pass, and matters pertaining, dear listeners. Now, um, obviously, the, the construction of the new ground was necessitated by various events of the 1980s. You know, this is all kind of cliched stuff, really, isn't it? This kind of thing that the BBC whip out whenever there's any hint of crowd trouble. You've got the Luton riots. You've got the really spoken of Heysel Stadium um, disaster in which Liverpool um, were very much the, the villains of that piece, but uh, no one must say that. The byword for trouble in football is, is Millwall. Um, but you had other incidents, Hillsborough, obviously, tragic events at Hillsborough, uh, the Bradford fire, and so on and so forth, all of which um, forced the game generally, and in particular the government inquiry under the chairmanship of Lord Taylor, to conclude that football stadia in this country had become, um, what's that, I I hate this phrase, unfit for purpose. I can't think of a better one as I'm talking to you. But anyway, there was a need in football generally to rebuild the stadia and to basically to, you know, uh, give customers better standards, uh, the kind of standards we've all come to expect as normal now. Indeed, have the luxury of moaning about in many cases, but... um, you know, anyone that's from 
um, my era. I'm, I'm 62 years old now. Um, so my first experiences of football came in the 1970s when stadiums were very, very different. Um, like any, you know, any good estate agent, the word character often is a cover-up for falling apart and uh, in need of total renovation. And as much as the stadiums of the 1970s, I include them all, Arsenal, I went to Spurs, I've been to West Ham, um, you know, Chelsea, all the main stadiums of London back then. And, and, and more generally, I went to Pompey on one occasion without going away with Millwall, uh, uh, Bristol Rovers, you name it. Um, all of the stadiums followed a certain pattern in that they were heavily, heavily terraced. Um, very rarely was much attention paid to the facilities of fans, um, other than maybe a few in the director's box. And generally speaking, football was, as the Times had it, a, a slum sport watched by slum people um, who I imagine you, you know, logically follow along would, would uh, behave in a, in a slum manner. And that was the way football was seen. That changed in the late 1970s, in the late 1980s rather, with the, the various major incidents that we've, we've mentioned already, each one of which brought a certain... Um, pressing need to the game to find new solutions, which would lead us on eventually to the Sky TV era of technology allowing people to subscribe to television stations and so on. Into the modern era, the retail park stadiums that we all despise and so on. But in particular, Millwall, as so often in its history, led the way with the uh, design and uh, the deal that enabled us to sell the old Colblow Lane site to Fairview Homes with the, the collusion of Lewisham Council, um, which produced the money to enable us to build the new stadium. Now, this wasn't the first attempt by the club to build a new stadium. Um, anyone who was around in the 1970s may, or the early 80s rather, may recall the, the very odd um, Asda affair. Now, I'm, I'm looking at Richard... It's uh, James Murray, sorry, James Murray's masterwork, Lions of the South, which has it as an appendix at the very back. Um, I would have been about 18, 19 when this story first broke. This was a deal that the club had reached with the supermarket chain Asda, Associated Dairies. They used to deliver the milk on our estate. But anyway, Associated Dairies, Asda, wanted to construct a superstore, um, and, and basically rebuild the site of Colblow Lane, the old New Cross Greyhound Stadium next door to it, which was uh, derelict from the mid-70s onwards, and basically rebuild a ground, a 25-seater, all-seater stadium, all covered, uh, parking for 750 cars. Um, it would have had a sports hall, an ice rink, ice rink, two cinemas, two cinemas, and, of course, and as the superstore, bringing 300 jobs to the area. Um, this was all announced by the then chairman, Mr Len Apple, in March 1979. Um, and it was basically, it was him of a sponsorship deal with Asda. And I am just looking at the Daily Mirror, dated March the 12th, 1979. And the banner headline on the back page is £12 million Millwall. Uh, the old lion badge, lovely badge. Uh, but the subheadline deal will turn Docklands into the lap of luxury. This story is by Kevin Mosley. Um, Millwall are set to sign the biggest sponsorship deal in British soccer this week. 
The, sec the second division club are within a reach of a £12 million enterprise with associated dairies who run as the supermarkets. It will transform the Coldblow Lane ground and may mean a change of name. There is, there's a hook. Change of name that was mentioned previously in the, in the earlier 70s by Gordon Jago as a means of shaking off the past. As well as providing new stands, uh, the deal will include a luxury leisure centre, uh, it could include indoor five-a-side pitches, an ice rink, and shops. It's the brainchild of Mill's new chairman, Len Apple, who has acted at a time when many of soccer's elite are simply crying over sponsorship money going to other, other sports. This is a very different era of football, younger listeners. Um, very hard to shake the modern idea that football is this, um, you know, the ultimate brand, the ultimate product that everyone wants to be associated with. It wasn't always so. In the late 70s and early 19, uh, 1980s, I would say the game was, was dying. Attendances back then reflect the fact that football was um, in a cul-de-sac and there was no easy way out of it. And one thing that I would say about Millwall, as we've mentioned on previous shows with Neil and, and various other you know, conversations we've had over, the, over time, is we've never lacked for ambition. And in fairness to Len Apple, this was a big, big deal. I mean, this is the back page of the Daily Mirror, March the 12th. £12 million. £12 million then was, was a big, big deal. This was, uh, you know, before the era of the modern um, cash machines sloshing around in the game. Um, so, yeah, this was, this was big news. This deal with Asda gradually hit various problems. One of the big issues with the old den, Colblow Lane, was uh, land ownership. Um, apparently one of the issues that um, eventually put paid to the deal, it, it dragged on over the early 1980s really until in the end it just died a natural death, this, this issue. But there were gas mains, water mains, um, land ownership problems. Um, as they started to get cold feet and gradually the plans for the rebuilt stadium would go from being an all-seater, all-covered stadium down to a partially covered stadium with terracing at one end, as requested by fans, interestingly. Eventually, the Asda deal would peter out and fade away, and Asda would instead focus their attention, it's oddly one of life's great, great um, coincidences, on the Cross Harbour site, on, on the Isle of Dogs, which was, as we've said many, many times on these shows, a previous site of Millwall Football Club. That was a total coincidence, but uh, one of life's strange karmic circles. Um, and it would eventually die out um, in the mid-1980s. But the idea of construction, this construction of a new ground for Millwall never really left us because of the problems of Colblow Lane. And one of the main problems of the old ground was that access around the stadium was not easy. Um, it was one of the quirks of the old ground that you couldn't walk around the stadium but on a street level without a huge detour. You had to kind of walk um, a long way out of your way to find yourself on uh, one end or the other end of Ilderton Road or Surrey Canal Road to come a long way round the back to get to the other end. There was no easy route around it. And one of the, the main elements of the Taylor Report, amongst many things, the main thing was, of course, all-seater stadia were going to become the norm in English football. But also you had to have vehicular access all the way around for emergencies and, and uh, basic stuff, really, I suppose. Not completely um, unacceptable, but it meant that the Colblow Lane site was 
um, effectively unusable um, once the the terms of the, uh, the the new law came in. So the, the club were presented with a real dilemma to find a, a way out of it, and that solution was, of course, eventually in the early nineteen nineties to sell up and uh, to to um, Fairview Homes and and to move on. A big factor in that decision because many many fans at the time were distraught, upset, distraught, whatever word you want to choose, at the prospect of leaving Coldblow Lane. I can well remember when this news first broke that we would indeed finally be moving away from Coldblow Lane. This would be in 1990, 1991, when it was announced. Um, many fans around me on the on the terraces were not happy. They, many were even saying they wouldn't go to the new ground. Such was the level of... Um, unsettled, the, the unsettled nature of the times, let's, let's put it that way. Um, the announcement initially came in, uh, there's a report here, uh, linked in with losses for Mill Holdings, which was the uh, owning company of Mill FC. Um, the numbers are all seem much lower compared with the modern times, but in the year of May 31st, 1993, pre-tax losses for Mill Holdings were cut by one million, so you know, moderately good news, I suppose. But it was still 1.7 million in the red and turnover was lower. Um, basically, we were broke, listeners. So we had a problem. We had to build a new stadium and we had no money. And the only way to do that, with, again, the collusion, in fairness, we, we would come on to become enemies later on. But at this time, Lewisham Council enabled us to um, gave permissions to sell the site of Colblow Lane, which is now the, the housing estate that I referred to when I did my little walkabout show the other day, and sell it to Fairview, and they would release land, you know, give, give a lease on the, the site of Senegal Fields, which was um, largely derelict land. It was a park, but um, it was land that needed uh, something to be done with it, and that something was, of course, the construction of the new den in 1993. The first new stadium, actually, to be built in the country since 1910, which is, uh, apart from Scunthorpe, I think Scunthorpe had uh, built, um, what's the name of their ground? Glanford Park. They built that. But apart from that, uh, this was the first substantial, let's put it that way, first substantial, first proper ground to be built um, since, since those far-off days, the pre-First World War days. Achtung! And so it came to pass. I was living at the time in, in Bermondsey and often I would go for a walk, go for a run, just find myself in the area to watch with some fascination the construction of the the new ground. It was, you know, the skeleton of the of the ground was the metal frame. You still see the out, outline of the metal um, construction there with the concrete filled in. Um, and I would often go along Ilderton Road and down Zamba and around uh, Stockholm Road just to have a look because it was, there was a sense of unreality to it, listeners. I don't know if anyone listening to this show recalls it, but it's, if you're in the area, I, I found it um, both um, an old combination of fascinating and, and unreal. Um, the idea that we, Millwall, would be able to build a new stadium when we set against, you know, there were great names of the of the time. Others hadn't done this. Uh, we were doing it, and to watch it being put together bit by bit over the course of 
probably late 91, 92, 93 it would open, um, was, was, I found it fascinating, but then I'm a bit quirky like that sometimes. Eventually, it would come to finish, you know, to completion, the Daily Mirror, Tuesday, the 3rd of August, 1993, back page. It's golden, G-O-A-L-D-E-N, golden. New home is the pride of the lions, says Neil Silver. Mill chairman Reg Burr unveiled a new den last night and declared this stadium, listeners, is the new Wembley. When you go to watch Millwall, you're in the new Wembley. Um, Superb, hyperbole by by Reg there. Uh, The proud Lions chairman hailed his club's new 20,000 capacity home as its saviour and insisted this may not be the biggest stadium in the country, but it is the best by a mile. Um, Burr revealed that by staying at the old ground, a goal kick, as he put it, a goal kick away from Colborough Lane, Moving away would have been Mill's death now. Um, at the old den, he says, we would have been dead in three years of playing in the Vauxhall Conference League. We could never have survived there. Instead, the Lions now boast a magnificent all-seater stadium, which they plan to turn into a major entertainment venue. Here's those words again. <laughs> oh, dear. Have you heard this one before? This is, do stop me if you've heard this gag before. Ambitious Millwall made a bid to stage the heavyweight boxing clash between Frank Bruno and Lennox Lewis. That never happened. They were thinking it was a Herbie Hyde and uh, was it Michael Bent? They had a fight there, and there was always this mythical concert by James James Brown that never took place. Of course, um, events at the New London Stadium, which was initial name, never really took hold. But events were planned to include boxing. We've mentioned cricket. I'm going to play and get a game of cricket there. I, I suppose you can play it in football grounds. I've seen it done. Chelsea had a game of cricket in, at Stamford Bridge in the in the 70s. But cricket was planned. American football was planned there. And music festivals. Ooh, a plural. We regard ourselves as a direct competitor to Wembley, said Reg Burr. South London is historically a hotbed of boxing. And we're expecting to put on a number of fights. Um, hmm. Never really happened, did it? Did it, listeners? Shame. Um, first one is James Brown. Here we are. Hardest working man in show business. Never made it to South Bermondsey, sadly. He's got it planned for the August the 30th. And he will be performing. And we expect a full house. Here we are. Um, season ticket sales are up, says Reg Burr. So, no, it was... The, the, also, then, there's a follow-up report a couple of days later. The opening fixture... A, a very, very memorable event in my life. Millwall 1, Sporting Lisbon 2, house warmer. Um, beautiful, brand spanking new stadium. Um, great line side, beautiful kit. The effect of walking into the new ground was the first time I'd been inside the stadium. I'd seen it being put together from the outside, but the first time I entered the new ground, I was I'd left it late getting tickets for some reason. I thought I might just be able to swan in there, but um, actually it was nearly a sellout. I think it was about 18,000 in the new ground with its capacity of 20,000, of course. Um, but I just about got a ticket and I was in the lower deck right down by what is now the away end. But I must admit, when I walked in, um, my jaw dropped and I felt quite, um, I think, proud. I think I've said this before and I shall say it again, dear listeners, I felt quite proud at the site of what we had built because I know we're now 30 years on and some might even be laughing at these words, but I just thought it was um, a wonderful, 
a wonderful stadium. Um, I remain convinced it's a great stadium. It's certainly my favourite stadium to watch football, and I've been to a few now over the years, a few modern stadia. Um, I think as a theatre of football, it's, it's unparalleled. When the den is rocking and we're behind our team, as we all know, there is nowhere else in the country that I would rather have my team playing. And um, there we are. Um, Princess of Wales was due to make a surprise visit at one of these music festivals. Did you did you know that, listeners? Um, she never made it. Um, the Dundee Courier, that, that was a strange choice of, uh, of publication. Of the 28th of April, 1994, Princess of Wales, Diana, um, was making a comeback and she was expected to be at one of these massive concerts that never happened. Um, superstar George Michael was going to play Millwall Football Club. Uh, the princess, who knows George Michael through her, her work on AIDS charities, rang him on Tuesday night. This is in, in, uh, this is in April 94, after he'd returned from an over- overseas tour. Um, trying to get, um, you know, trying to get together for this show that was planned to be at Millwall. I think Princess Diana was gagging listeners to get down the den. I think that's the best way that I can, I can put it. Um, over the years, of course, uh, capacity has reduced. I suppose um, initially it was set at twenty thousand. I think the Arsenal game is there still remains the highest. Uh, Arsenal, we played Arsenal in the early nineties. And that remains the highest attendance. But we did get close to it last season, didn't we? A couple of times we got 18,000 plus attendances, which is, which is all to the good. Achtung, Mailball. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The new stadium was constructed, as we've said, during the course of 1992-93. And there's um, a fantastic, fantastically detailed piece on the millwall-history.org.uk website. If you ever want to take the time to have a look, I fully recommend it. If you're any, any way nerdy like me, um, it gives you chapter and verse, uh, an extensive article from the Architects Journal 
regarding the construction of the new grounds and cost, costings, um, design uh, plans, a fire engineer's account, all related to the building of the new London Stadium, as it was uh, called at that point. Um, that name never really stuck. I never liked it. And it rapidly became the den, the new den, then just the den um, in, in everyday parlance. But anyway, it's called the New London Stadium initially. £15.5 million was its total cost. The, there's a, a nice little pie chart here. I'm just looking at, listeners, a cost analysis of the New London Stadium. £15.5 million. 1992 prices. Um, 32% of that cost was the uh, superstructure frame and cladding of the, of the ground. Uh, internal walls, 23%. So the actual, what you might call the bones of the of the uh, stadium was, um, what's that, probably about half of that cost, about seven or eight million. Then you've got the various M&E services. Pitch, strangely, just 3.2%. The very point of the stadium is the pitch, but that was just 3%, for just over 3% of the of the end cost. Now, the, the article is extensive. It's from the Architects' Journal, um, so it's fairly dry. It does contain some fantastic detail in, in there. Um, the Architects' Account, Nick Parkinson Partners, Miller Partnership, Client Account, David Monks. Um, so the decision, as it says here, to move from the den of Millwall Football Club's home for more than 80 years is based on two criteria. The need to adhere to the Taylor Report, which we've mentioned already, and create an all-seater stadium. Um, but also create a facility that would take Mill into the 21st century, which is where we are right now, listeners. Um, they've got a nice plan of the new ground. Four individual stands, um, the capacities of each. This is wonderful detail. The Coldblow Lane end, home end, 4,382. Same with the away end. Both the side stands, the Barry Kitchener stand, slightly larger, um, 5,354. The Docker stand, 5,135, the uh, balance, that makes a total of 19,253, so um, just over 5,000 in each of the side stands, 4,300 odd in each of the end stands. Then you've got the exec boxes, 320 exec seats and kitcheners for 400 and disabled spaces, 173, making a total at the point of construction of 20,146. That has reduced slightly with... um, the needs of uh, and reactions to various incidents in the ground. It's probably, in, in net terms, we've got 18,000 in last season. There's probably about full whack. I'd say that some of the front rows were removed at various points in response to, um, what should we call it? Bits and pieces, bits and pieces. Some wonderful drawings showing the, the site angles for the construction of the stands, each of which were pretty much the same. The architectural company Miller Partnership also worked on two other major stadiums, very much built in the style of the times. Um, obviously, football grounds would evolve into the more single tier um, look that we see more often nowadays. I, I repeat my point earlier on, listeners, that Millwall, um, with, along with Ibrox, which is another um, stadium built by this, this partnership, and Windsor Park, the, the main stand at Windsor Park in Belfast, follows similar patterns, upper deck, lower deck, similar kinds of angles, same kind of uh, look, to be honest. I'm just looking at uh, the Irish FA, uh, Northern Irish FA, uh, Windsor Park Stadium there. There it is. It looks very similar to what we'd see at the Den. 
and of course, famously, um, Ibrox, um, just looking at the main stand behind the main goal, the home end, same kind of look, obviously with the blue seating, very, very similar to the den, with the uh, angled roof and, and side side pieces that we, we know so well. Um, so yeah, the, the stadium was um, wonderful um, artist impressions. Well, I'm just looking, this is the den, listeners, it looks like um, dreamy, beautiful people wandering on sunny days amidst... Uh, leafy, leafy uh, trees just outside a, a pristine-looking, hand-drawn new den. Um, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, the main emphasis of the ground was to um, keep spectator proximity to the pitch. Uh, they, for that reason, the architects had they kept the lower seating decks quite shallow, fourteen rows maximum. As a result, the upper tiers are quite steep and are kept close to the pitch. This also in my um, non-architectural opinion, that helps with the acoustics of the ground because on its day, as we've said already, as you know, as I know, and I think as many, many uh, fans and clubs around the country know, on its day, the den can be insanely loud with fairly moderate attendances, let's, let's be fair. And I think a lot of that is thanks to the work put in by Miller Partnership um, because the design of the ground really, really... Uh, replicated the atmosphere that we got used to at the old den. Um, so I think they're unsung unsung heroes, really. So yeah, here we are. Construction started in May 92. That had been roundabout when I was leaving at um, Linton Road, just up the road. Uh, completion, August 93, which was achieved. Um, Three-year contract signed with uh, Ogden Entertainment. There's a name from the past, or any older listeners. Ogden were a, an American... Uh, stadium management company and they were going to really launch us into the modern era with uh, fast food outlets like McDonald's, like KFC, uh, Burger King, you name you name your fast food cardiac arrest choice of, uh, of, of, of uh, nourishment and they were going to be at the den. Um, sadly, along with the James Brown concert and the big time boxing, cricket and American football, Ogden never really... Um, you know, delivered what they, they were promising. Um, sadly, sadly, the then, over time, became... Um, it was a regular football stadium in the end. We've played... There was a rugby league match played there in 2015, I've read. Um, Wigan played, uh, I think it was a, a French side. Um, and also, um, I've never seen cricket there, but we have had some internationals. Uh, most recently, Australia played Ecuador in... Uh, 2017, just ahead of the return of Tim Cahill, of course. But the plan was that it would accommodate all sorts of of um, sports and it would become multi-use, as that magic word would have it, including, as we say, under-21 and B internationals. We haven't had many of them over the years. Rugby league we have had on one occasion. American football and hockey. Hockey. Never seen hockey at the den. So there we are. Um, fantastic article. Well worth a very in-depth piece. The fire and plans of the stadium um, wonderful wonderful reading do have a look at it dear listeners the first season at the den was a strange season actually it would finish actually in, with uh, hope in the sense of the derby pass but that would all uh, fall flat on its face of course with uh, incidents during the game at the den in the playoff game but the first season took a while to to get uh, get a sense that this was our new home. Actually, I, I know that one, our first home game was against Southend 
in August. First league home game anyway, apart from the friendly. And we got beat 4-1. I think that was a TV game on, on ITV. And it took us a while to start to get to, to grips with it as, as a home ground. The first home win was against Barnsley, which I think was in the in the September. But, you know, the average attendance for a season that would finish with playoff football, the chance to get back to the Premier League, just 10,000. Um, and then, obviously, in seasons to follow, life would go downhill somewhat for Millwall during the course of the 90s. At average attendance in 94-95, just 7,600. Uh, and then with relegation in the late 90s to Division 2, um, low attendances, that's 97, 98, 7,000, 6,958 on average, 98, 99. It would recover gradually, and it is, I mean, the emphasis is on gradual. A good season in 2001, 2, that was another playoff season. But it would take a long while for the Den and Millwall to become fused. I think we are fused now. I, I, I must admit, initially, I always went to the new ground, as I call it, with a sense that I was in somebody else's house. Very nice house, but in somebody else's house. Um, I wouldn't say that now. I think now the Den is ours. I don't really think about the old Den very often. Occasionally, other than when I do these shows, which I some would say we flog on about the old den. Um, but so you take that with a pinch of salt, dear listeners. But anyway, you know what I mean. When I'm at the new, the, when I'm at the the ground, when at Millwall, this feels like home. It feels very much a Millwall ground now. And bit by bit, over the years, um, we've had a couple of good seasons recent years, attendance wise. Thirteen thousand twenty seventeen. That was a near-miss playoff run, wasn't it? 13,600, 2018-19. Going to leave out the COVID season, which is a bit of a, um, you know, an unusual event. And then 12,900. I dare say last season would be pretty good as well. We had some big attendances. I haven't got that figure to hand. Um, the location has always made it a favourite spot of film and TV. It did, of course, double up on the... Sky TV series, uh, The Dragon's Lair, it was known as Harchester United in the TV series. Was it a Sky TV series? Dream Team? Uh, Parents appeared in an episode of the ITV show Prime Evil. I'm going by Wikipedia, a wonderfully written piece on Wikipedia. Um, it's also been used in the bill. Nike have shot some adverts there. Kit Kat, apparently, made their Cross Your Fingers advert. Whoever's written this has really um, picked up on the, on the trivia. Uh, including a wonderful bit about Celebrity Soccer Sixes, which took place in 2008. Um, I can vaguely remember this. Film and television styles played at the Den, dear listeners, in 2008 on behalf of the Samaritans charity. Um, Baby Shambles, which I think was that Pete Doherty? Doherty? Failed to retain the trophy, losing 3-2 to Dance dance Act Faithless. Losing Faithless, I'm... Uh, is there an electronic trip-hop house and trance band, apparently? Amy Winehouse, McFly, Tony Hadley, and ex mill fan favourite Terry Herlock turned up to uh, take part in the Soccer Sixes. I'm, I'm picking this as my standout fixture. I'm going to ignore the Leicester win, the Everton win, the, the Mother's Day massacre, um, all the other great games that have happened over the over the years at the New Den. I'm picking out the Celebrity Soccer Sixes. With the winners of the women's trophy were, a, trophy were a band called Cansei de Ser Sexy. I'm going to have to look them up. 
CSS, known as Portuguese band Sao Paulo, um, indie rock, new wave electronica, electro clash. Can't say the ser sexy. Apparently, won the women's trophy. They got very like kind of an SS style lightning bolt logo, which probably puts them in the very dodgy category, dear listeners. So there we are. Thirty years of the new den. Um, I don't know about you. I've grown to love it over the over the course of those thirty years. I can't imagine playing anywhere else now. Sometimes, of course, your mind goes back to the long lost Cold Blow Lane ground that's gone replaced by a bland, nondescript housing estate. Um, but our new ground's got that nice, rusty, bird shitty type feel to it. It remains, despite all attempts, all, all talk of name changes, all talk of rebranding the road, Sunshine Avenue that um, Gordon Jago wanted to call us, Lewisham United or whatever it was. We remain Millwall. The approach is, if you come up through the Sealwood Estate, up under the railway bridge, um, through that kind of alleyway area, coming that way, it feels as tight and as uncomfortable a route to a football stadium as you would want from a Millwall ground. So, um, long may that continue to be so. And despite plans for the area to turn it into a new kind of Surrey Keys, um, so far, fingers crossed, Keep your rabbit's foot to hand, dear listeners. Not one shovel has been put into the ground despite all the campaigns. And here we are, 2023, somewhat five years now since we campaigned hard to avert the uh, redevelopment of the den, regeneration. Um, let's hope that continues. Achtung, Now, just to conclude this love letter, I suppose it is, to the new den, Zampa Road Stadium, New London Stadium, all of its many guys, his listeners. I thought I'd try and choose a favourite game played at the new stadium. Kind of a difficult thing to do, and there are, in many ways the fixtures that immediately spring into your mind are obvious. You've got the Leicester win, 2016 FA Cup win, fantastic day. Uh, the defeat of Everton, obviously, more recently going back Mother's Day massacre and you've got the, you know, even lesser fixtures perhaps, such as the defeat of Wolves in the 2001-2, the Steve Claridge penalty night, the day we beat Stoke with just nine kids, um, was that 98, 99-ish, something like that. Um, so as I say, some are fairly obvious, it's kind of hard in truth to weigh one up over another. So instead what I've done is I've picked a favourite fixture, well, one of one of many, but one that sprang to mind from this very first season at the new stadium, 1993-94. It was a New Year's Day win. Probably the first big game situation, big day, um, big match. It was a win over Crystal Palace, 3-0. Defeat of our uh, much-despised uh, local rivals. New Year's Day, January 1994. Um, probably it was the first time in truth in a competitive fixture that I got a real sense, we all got a real sense, of what the new stadium could be like. Fantastic atmosphere. Played um, on a you know winter's afternoon under floodlights. There is YouTube footage of it to be had. If you type in Mill Crystal Palace 1994, it'll pop up. It's a 3-0 win. Um, very um, grainy, old-school video footage, but wonderful, all, all a bit luminous but it's great to, to see it. 
um, including some fantastic players, not least being John Goodman. Um, just watching the opening goal here. There's Etienne Vivier, dear listeners. Oh, E.T., um, wonderful little chip into the box. And there's John Goodman heading home from close range in front of the adoring fans at the Coldblow Lane Inn. Wonderful kit, that pinstriped um, royal blue kit, white shorts. Um, it was a real hint that um, good times could be coming to Millwall. The new stadium had been a huge risk, in truth. It would come back to haunt us in the late 1990s when the club would be plunged into administration, of course. But at this stage, 1994, in front of the uh, 16,300 at the den, um, all that seemed very, very far away. Second goal, just watching now. Do have a look at it on YouTube. It's well worth it. What a gold mine of info it is on YouTube. And there is a wonderful corner. Header down. And there's Etienne Vivier. Wonderful, exotic, wonderful player in the Royal Blue shirt. Back heeling it onto the crossbar and into the net from um, a left-sided corner. Um, I used to love E.T., dear listeners. Um, man of mystery in some ways. He, uh, was it Dan? Lions TV managed to get him for an interview a couple of years ago. Really interesting bloke. He's working now, I think, in Amsterdam as a, a physio or something of that kind. And kudos to, to Dan for finding him and getting, nailing that interview. It's, it's a wonderful um, bloke to listen to, Etienne. And then there's uh, Dave Mitchell, another great player. Uh, for the Lions, a, a much-travelled player, of course, being pulled down for the third goal, which was a penalty on 61 minutes from Alex Ray. What a player Alex Ray was, what I wouldn't give. Would What limb would you give, dear listeners, to have Alex Ray back in a Mill shirt in his prime, in his pomp? Uh, and he buries the penalty, bottom left hand corner, for a wonderful 3-0 win. Um, as I say, first big, big win, big, big game, Big situation at the new ground. Um, so I've picked that one out as my choice of fixture. Mill 3, Crystal Palace nil. played on January the 1st, 1994. 16,779 was the attendance, to be exact. Goals by John Goodman, 51 minutes. Etienne Vervier in the 59th. And then two minutes later, Alex Ray slots home. A penalty, 61 minutes. Mill team that day, some wonderful names in this team. Um, wanted to, you know, just wanted to give a sense of the breadth now of history that we've got at the new ground because for a long while I, like many others, probably regarded it as the lesser stadium to Colblow Lane. I don't think that we can say that anymore. There have been some wonderful, wonderful days. All the ones I've just mentioned, you'll have your choice of favourite fixtures too, dear listeners. But let me read you this team from 30 years ago Casey Keller, back line, Ben Thatcher. Neil Emblen, Keith Stevens, Richard Huxford, midfield, uh, Alex Ray, Andy Roberts, Etienne Vervier, Phil Barber. <laughs> There's a much, um, yeah, you know, name from the past, Phil Barber. Uh, many didn't like him. I didn't mind Phil Barber. Had his own chant on the halfway line at Colblow Lane. Ooh, ah, Phil Barber. Up front, John Goodman, we've mentioned already, Dave Mitchell, substituted by Jamie Morley in the 80th minute. Um, as I say, there is YouTube fixture, uh, there is YouTube footage, do have a look at it, well worth it on this game and others. I've picked out a few names from the past, just to have a quick look at. Ben Thatcher, I thought it might be worth looking at Ben Thatcher, um, left back of course, 104 games, one goal for the Lions, much travelled, 
over the years. Much a controversial figure, Ben, wasn't he? Um, I think at the Den was his heyday. Um, like many other players, you know, Ben has played at some high levels, played internationally for England uh, under 21s, also for, for the Welsh national side. Uh, played at Charlton, Prep Manchester City, Leicester. I still believe, and you may correct me, I don't know, but um, I still believe his heyday was spent at the Den where he was a, a much loved figure. He would be become a controversialist later on with some challenges, some elbows. I don't intend to dwell on that because I used to like Ben Thatcher. He was a Millwall player, uh, player of the season, I think, 95-96, which was a relegation season. Um, played in this particular fixture in the back line. Richard Huxford, and there's a little mentioned name now. One of the things about these kinds of shows, listeners, is you can pick out the, the superstars of the, of the den, but you can also pick out the obscurities and Richard Huxford. A lesser mentioned player, in my opinion. 38 games he played for the Lions, 93 to 95. Fullback stroke midfielder. Uh, scored just one goal. Born in Scunthorpe, played around some low level names Scunny, Matlock Town, Burton Albion, Gainsborough, Kettering. A high point of his career, like a few others, really, coming at uh, Den Millwall, those 38 games. Um, he would go on to complete his career in Scottish football. Uh, apparently is now working for the Institute of Scottish Sport um, and, and Academy Director at Capital Area Rail Railharks Development Academy. So he's, he's involved in uh, academy football up in uh, up in Scotland. And as I've mentioned already, John Goodman, one of my favourite ever players in a Lions shirt, signed for us from non-league Bromley. Again, um, we've said it already, we'll say it again. The heyday of, of John's career, really, scoring-wise and, and really glory-wise, if I can hazard that, um, was at the Den. He would go on uh, in the aftermath of relegation, along with uh, Kenny Cunningham, another much-missed uh, player, to be sold to Premier League Wimbledon back then. Um, but he was a fantastic striker for the Lions. 35 goals from 109 appearances, according to Wikipedia. Um, just 11 goals from 60 for Wimbledon. Republic of Ireland International. Uh, he's dabbled a little bit in management post-career, but he's more of a fitness coach, sports scientist. There's a really interesting interview, if you seek it out, where he's working for the Nike Academy, I think it was at St George's Park, um, telling the story of how he studied sports science whilst he was uh, injured at Wimbledon and uh, has, has progressed on to make that his career post-game. Really fast, really exciting forwards a find a non-league find and he lit up the pitch at the den at Colblow Lane and then at the new den and uh, he's one of my favourite ever players I wanted to give John a mention he doesn't get mentioned very often um, in these shows so there we are uh, Ben Thatcher Richard Huxford and John Goodman three selections I mean there's some great names in that in that side um, from a, a one one fixture amongst many, but um, very hard to pick a greatest game, in my opinion. Which would be your greatest game played at the New Den, dear listeners? Um, I found it quite hard to choose because you're only going to go for the obvious choices. But I've selected this one. Mill 3, Palace nil, 1994. Um, I just want to say thank you for indulging this little love letter show to the new stadium. So a big thank you to um, you for listening to the show. Looking forward to the new season. The Lions are currently in Spain on their pre-season 
training and um, I'm looking forward to getting back into it come August the 5th. So until the next show anyway, really appreciate your time listening to this this edition. All the best. Arrivederci Millwall. Bye for now. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.